You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, loving escaping the warm Southern California weather and getting some cool, fresh air. Um, my wife and I are so grateful to have the opportunity to come uh, and spend some time with you this weekend, and so we're grateful for that. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, and this morning we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Lord, we thank you that we have this time to look at your word and we ask that you would bless our study in it. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that your spirit would help us to understand this text And Lord, even more importantly, to apply this text to our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, there is a story in history of the great military commander Napoleon, who one day had his prized steed run away from him. Immediately, a private jumped on his horse and chased after that steed. Minutes later, the private returned to Napoleon with his horse. And Napoleon smiled at the private. He looked at him and he said, Thank you, Captain. The overjoyed private then immediately ran to the, uh, the quartermaster, swapped out his private's uniform for a captain's uniform. He then ran to the barracks. He changed all of his, his bags. He put them in or he put all of his clothes in his bags and he moved into the captain's quarters. In an instant, the commander-in-chief changed that lowly private status from a private to a captain. Likewise, as Christians, Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, has changed our status as believers through his death his burial, his resurrection from the grave. The Bible says that we were once children of wrath. That was our status. That was our position. That was our identification. But through the gospel, we're now children of God. And just as that man changed his actions to reflect his new status, the Bible says that so should we. You see, in light of our new status as Christians, 
we can, by the work of the Holy Spirit, change the way that we live. Not by our own might, but by God's work in our life. We can live with a heavenly mindset rather than an earthly mindset. And that is Paul's point. That's the message of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The title of this sermon is Living with a Heavenly Mindset. And now, before we get started, it's important to notice where we are in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 is that bridge. It connects the the doctrinal section of Colossians in chapters 1 through 3 with the practical section, or sorry, 1 and 2 with the practical section in chapters 3 and 4. It's a connection. The book of Colossians is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is supreme above all else. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul tells the Colossians, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme over over all things, over creation, over salvation, over the church. He is to be preeminent, as Colossians 1 says. But then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul kind of turns a corner. And he says, in light of this truth, in light of the fact that Jesus is supreme over all things, what are those implications on our life? How then are we to live? See, if Jesus Christ is supreme over every area of our lives, it should change the way we live. It should affect our daily lives. If we believe in Jesus, if we are to submit to his lordship, then Jesus is supreme over our work. Jesus is supreme over our purity, over our friendships, over our relationships. He's supreme over all things. And so in this section, what Paul does is he's encouraging these believers. And he's encouraging, by extension, you and I today to live a life that's consistent with our status as Christians. As that private changed the way that he lived when he was promoted to a captain. We as believers who have had a changed identification are to live in a way that's consistent with that. Now if you have a, a bulletin handout and insert, first fill-in is here. In Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, we will see two fundamental principles for the Christian life which ought to compel you to live with a heavenly mindset. That's a lot, so I'll say it again. In Colossians 3, 1 to 4, we will see two fundamental principles for the Christian life which ought to compel you to live with a heavenly mindset. We're going to begin this morning by looking at verses 1 and 2. And here, here's your next fill-in. You will see your mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. Your mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Here in these verses, we see your mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. 
in order to compel us towards heavenly living, in order to compel us towards living a life that's consistent with that new status as children of God that we have, Paul provides you this this mandate. He says you are to seek and you are to set your mind on the things above. It's important to note here that this is a, it's a mandate. This is a command from God to us today to live a life that's consistent of our calling as Christians, to live a life that glorifies God. This is your mandate. Now in verse one, before we even get to the mandate here, Paul provides a a foundation for this mandate. He says, this mandate which I'm about to give you, these commands that I'm about to give you, this instruction that will help you live a life that glorifies God is based on, is founded upon your identification with Christ. Paul writes, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now this, this word if, by saying if, Paul doesn't mean to suggest that some of his readers haven't been raised with Christ. Paul doesn't mean to suggest that some of his readers aren't truly Christians. Rather, what Paul is doing is referencing that as believers, we're united with Christ. We're united with Christ. The grammatical structure here actually assumes the fact that this statement is true. You could actually translate this since you have been raised with Christ, because you have been raised with Christ. If you look at Colossians chapter 2, Paul kind of further explains this that you're united with Christ. Look with me at chapter 2 and verse 12. Colossians 2 and verse 12. Paul says this. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See, as believers, we're united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's what Paul is saying here. This is what he's arguing off of. The foundation for everything he's about to tell us today is based on the fact that we're united with Christ. When you were saved, when you put your faith in Christ, when you repented of your sins, you died. You were crucified with Christ. But obviously that wasn't a physical death, right? We're all here this morning. So what did we die to? Well, look at chapter 2 and verse 20. Chapter 2 and verse 20 Paul addresses one aspect of this and he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Paul says, when you were saved, you died to the world. But you didn't stay dead. You were united with him. You were raised with him through faith. You died to the world. You rose to new life. Now to see this Maybe even a little more clear. If turn with me to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. I appreciate the reading this morning from Romans chapter eight. That's going to be really helpful as we get farther into this passage. But I want to back up into Romans chapter six and see this concept that in salvation that we've died and we've risen to new life. 
Romans 6, and look at verse 4. Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. We were united with Christ. We died with Christ. And through the gospel, we were resurrected, if you will, in Christ to new life. As believers then, who share this union, we've experienced a a spiritual resurrection. As Christ was physically raised from the dead to sit at the right hand of the Father, we have had a spiritual resurrection before you repented of your sins. Before you put your faith in, In Christ, you were dead in your sins. You were separated from God. You were unable to respond to God's word in any way. You deserved the wrath of God. But when God saved you, through the the glorious gospel, you were raised with Christ. And the point to understand here is this resurrection now enables you to live with new attitudes with new affections. This resurrection now allows you to live a life that's consistent with your new status as a believer. Or you could say it this way. Since you have been raised with Christ, now live a life that's consistent of who you are. Be a Christian. Live a life as one who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus This is the foundation for this mandate that he's about to give. But it's important to notice that at the outset. Because the foundation for living with a heavenly mindset, for living the Christian life, if you will, is that you know the Lord. That you've repented, that you've trusted in Christ. And so if you're here today and you haven't, if you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if Jesus is not your Savior, then you will not be able to fulfill this mandate. You will not be able to to live a life with a heavenly mindset. But the good news is the news of the gospel, right? Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, coming to earth to live that perfect life that we cannot live and to die the death that we deserve so that if you repent, if you turn from your sins, if you renounce your sin and you put your faith in Christ, you'll be born again. And, and that born again life then is the foundation for our heavenly living. Now after providing this foundation for heavenly living, Paul then moves back into that mandate. The mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. Look at verse 1. Here we see the first part of this mandate. Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. This word seek, it means to to strive for. It means to aim at. It means to desire to obtain. If you remember the parable of the, the woman and the lost coin, Jesus tells this parable and he says, A woman had some coins and she lost one. And when she did, what did she do? She lit a candle and she diligently sought 
all throughout her house until she found it. This word was also used to describe athletic events. If any of you are uh, track runners, this was a word used to describe uh, a relay race where one runner would diligently strive, would be reaching to grab that baton and then move forward in the race. This word has determination in it. The idea here in this seeking is that we're to have a bent. We're to have a, an orientation towards heaven. Now, if you've ever gone to Costco or a, a grocery store and you grab a cart and a few minutes into your shopping, you notice that your cart seems to just drift one way. You like go up to grab a can of something and all of a sudden your cart is like hit the next uh, divider. And if you're like me, instead of just going back and getting a new cart, you spend the next 20 minutes of your shopping like fighting the cart as it's bending one way. That's what Paul kind of is, that's the idea of this word. That we're to be bent as the compass is oriented north. So we as Christians, we're to be oriented towards heaven. As the shopping cart is bent one way or the other, we are to be bent towards heaven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You're to seek. That's what Paul is talking about. The, the things of heaven here, they refer to uh, the place of God's dwelling. But what we need to understand here is we're not merely supposed to seek a place. We're to seek a person. Look again at verse 1. Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. We're not merely supposed to seek a place. We're to seek a person. This, if you will, is the focus of your mandate. As believers, we are to have a daily focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to seek the things above. We're to seek heaven because that's where our Savior is. And we should want to seek the things above. That's a sign of, uh, of a healthy spiritual life that you desire to seek the things above. You see, the fact of the matter is that heaven will only be a boring place for those who deem Christ to be a boring person. We should desire to seek the things above. Believer, Christ is far from boring. Christ is far from boring. Seek Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It was Samuel Rutherford who wrote in his letters, Every day we may see some new thing in Christ, for his love has neither brim nor bottom. There's so much to seek. As the hymn writer put it, we are to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We're to look full at his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We're to seek Christ. But it's important to, that we don't miss this final phrase in verse 1. Look at it again. Paul says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
You see, heaven is not only the place where our Savior is, it's the place where our Savior rules. The right hand of God throughout the Bible is a place of of honor, of majesty, of power, and of sovereign rule. This idea can be seen in Psalm 110 verse 1. Psalm 110 1, the psalmist says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I, make your enemy, uh, until I make your enemies your footstool. Heaven is not only the place where our Savior is, it's the place where our Savior rules. And so seeking Christ also involves a, a submission to him in our lives. To seek Christ is to, to meditate. It's to think about the glories of Christ. How amazing our Savior is. And then to allow him to rule over your lives to seek God's word when you're making a decision as as we talked about this morning in in Bible study to seek what God's word says about money and how we're to use our money we're to seek the things that are above and then in verse 2 Paul elaborates on this mandate look with me at verse 2 he says set your mind on the things that are above not on the things that are on the earth. This mandate for living with a heavenly mindset involves seeking the things above, but also setting our minds on things above. This word here, to set, it means to carefully consider. And and just like the word seek, this word set is to be a habitual action. It's to be something that we're doing daily. Not something that we simply do once, but something that's a repeated pattern in our life. As believers, we're not only supposed to seek heaven, we're to think about heaven. And notice here the importance of your mind in the Christian life. Notice the importance of your mind, what you think about and what you dwell on in your life. If you want to live with a heavenly mindset, if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, If you want to have victory over an an indwelling sin, the lesson that we learn here is that you must guard what fills your mind. You must guard what you're thinking about on a daily basis. There was an article uh, in the San Francisco newspaper years ago of a young man who was walking on a sidewalk and once found a $5 bill. From that time on, the young man determined that he would never look up while walking. He would always look down because he wanted to see what else he would find. (laughs) Well, the article went on to say that over the years he accumulated, amongst other things, over 29,000 buttons, over 54,000 pins, and 12 cents. He spent all of his time looking down and that's the result of what he accumulated my question for you is not in a physical way but in a spiritual way what are you accumulating based on what you're thinking you see I'm afraid that many Christians are like this man yeah we don't walk looking at the ground if you will but sometimes we can be so engrossed with the things of this world that are around us that we do not seek and set our minds on the things that are above. You see, 
We seek and set our minds on all sorts of things. Raising your family. Paying bills. uh, Building your career. Completing your education. Sports. Entertainment. Housing projects. You know, all sorts of these things. And the things I listed aren't necessarily bad at all. Right? These are good things. But the question is, from this text... What are you primarily setting your mind upon? Are you setting your mind on the things of earth? Fame, success, pleasure, comfort. Or are you setting your minds on the eternal things of heaven? The Chicago evangelist D.L. Moody used to complain that too many Christians were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. But I'd argue here that the opposite danger can also become true. We can become so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. So if we're to live with a heavenly mindset, if we're to live in a manner consistent with our status as believers in Christ, as those who have been redeemed by Jesus, we're to seek and to set our minds on things above. One pastor said it this way, We cannot have a godly life and a worldly mind at the same time. Let me say that again. We cannot have a godly life and a worldly mind at the same time. We're to seek the things that bring God glory. But I also need to note here that Paul is not saying that we need to escape all the material things of this world. Paul is not saying that. So how do we balance that? How do we balance our, this life on earth and everything that comes at us in the day and um, you know, duties we have that may even seem trivial at times with this fact that we're to seek and set our mind on the things above? Well, what we're here to do is we're to focus on Christ as we live faithfully on the earth. We're to focus on Christ as we live faithfully on the earth. This is your mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. You're to seek and to set your mind on the things above. And now we're going to move into verses 3 and 4. And we're going to look at, here's the next fill-in in your outline, your motivation for living with a heavenly mindset. Your motivation for living with a heavenly mindset. Look at verses 3 and 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, I've given you this mandate for living with a heavenly mindset. I've set forward this exhortation to you. But now I'm going to give you motivations why. Why should I seek and set my minds on the things above? And the way that Paul here is going to motivate you is by reminding you who you are in Christ. By reminding you the truths of who you are in Christ. What the Bible says is true about you. Paul reminds us of the truth of our past death. Look at verse 3, he says, For you have died. Right again, this isn't talking about physical death. We're all in this room presently. 
So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that prior to your salvation, prior to being born again, you were spiritually dead. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in sin. But when you were united in Christ, when you were saved, you were made alive with Christ. That's your past death. Paul here is highlighting the fact that when you were born again, you received a new spiritual condition. You once were dead in sin, but now as we read in Romans 8, you're dead to sin. This is the truth of your past death. In Romans chapter 6, in that passage that we looked at briefly, Paul says, Romans 6 verse 1, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Later in verse 11, Paul says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In a real sense, if you have been born again, you've died to sin. You've died to sin and therefore because of the truth of your past death, you can now live with a heavenly mindset. You can live with a heavenly mindset. Why? Because you're no longer under sin's dominating power. You're no longer under sin's dominating power. Look with me again at Colossians 2 and verse 20. Because it's because of this truth that Paul says, Colossians 2, 20, if with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations such as do not taste, do not handle, do not touch? Paul is saying since you have died, since you are dead to sin, since you have been saved by the grace of God, why would you live the way you used to? You should live with a heavenly mindset. If you're here today, be encouraged. If you are in Christ, may that encourage you. You now have no reason to live like the world does. Because you've died to sin's power, by the grace of God, you can live with a heavenly mindset. Not only that, Paul reminds you of the truth of your present position. Look again at verse 3. He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. For the believer, our life, our eternal life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, this word hidden really has a lot to it. This is a rich word, a rich truth about who you are in Christ. To say that we're hidden in Christ signifies a a close relationship with Christ. We've already talked about the fact that, that we are united to Christ and that we're in him. But there's a reverse truth of that, which is Christ is in us. That Christ is in us. If you go to chapter 1 of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul says this, 
He says to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ. You are in him and he is in you. It's an amazing truth. It's because of this that when someone would go and knock on Martin Luther, the great reformer's door, they would knock on his door and they would say, is, is Martin Luther here? And he would say, Martin Luther's dead. Jesus Christ lives here now. <laughs> it's silly, but it, it conveys that point. Believer, God dwells in you. Your life is hidden with Christ. And that should change how you live. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul asks the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? The implication here being that since your body is a spiritual temple in which the Spirit of Christ dwells, then you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where you would be sinning Believer, God dwells in you. Live in such a way, that's what Paul is saying, live in such a way that you display that truth in how you live. Not only that, the fact that our lives are hidden in Christ is a reference to the mystery of our salvation. To the mystery of our salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, the fact that our our life is a mystery means that unbelievers the people that we interact with daily, our coworkers, our friends, the person at the coffee shop maybe, does not understand your devotion to Christ. They don't understand why you walk by faith. They don't understand why you sacrificially love, why you generously give, why you would come to church and spend an hour of your day listening to God's word being preached. Your life is hidden. It's, it's strange to the world. They won't understand. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The fact that your life is hidden with Christ means that your salvation in a very true sense is hidden from the world. And the fact that your life is hidden with Christ is also a reference to the security of your salvation. To the security of your salvation. To say that your life is hidden with Christ means that if you are in Christ, your salvation is safe. John chapter 10 John chapter 10, Jesus said, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Believer, is that not an amazing truth? Is that not something that you can praise God for, that you can thank God for today? As those who have trusted in Christ, our salvation is secure. 
That's a comfort to us. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I can't resist but looking at this. If we need something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season, it certainly can be our salvation. And I think it certainly can be this truth. Look at verse 3. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The fact that your life is hidden with Christ in God is to say that your salvation is secure. Think about that. Your salvation is being guarded by God himself. That's an amazing thing to think about. So Paul reminds you of the truth of your past death. He reminds you of the truth of your present position. And then finally, in verse 4, Paul reminds you of the truth of your future glorification. Your future glorification. Look with me at verse 4. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice that this verse does not say if he appears, but, but when he appears. The fact that Jesus Christ is returning. We even sang about that today. While we don't know the hour of his coming, we know that he is in fact coming back again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, Paul says, we will appear with him in glory. 1 John 3, 2, Paul, or John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Our life is hidden in Christ. And that means that what we are now has not been fully revealed to the world. But one day, it will be fully and forever revealed We will appear with him in glory. And so Paul gives these three reminders of who you are, of what the Bible says about you. And he says these three truths should be a motivation to live with a heavenly mindset. Paul says remember your status. Remember your identity. And then act in such a way that demonstrates that truth. In light of your status, your new position in Christ, you ought to live in such a way that's consistent with your calling. Napoleon looked at that private and he said, thank you, captain. 
in an instant, his status was changed. And as a result, he no longer conducted himself like a private. He stood a little taller. He spoke with a little more authority. He acted as a captain would act. And so we who have been given an eternal status change, who have given an eternal identification change, no longer children of wrath, but children of God, we're to live in such a way that reflects that truth. But don't miss that wonderful parenthetical thought that I skipped over in verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul states that Christ is our life. For the Christian, Christ is life itself. So let me ask you this question this morning. What is your life? What are you living for? What is it that you cannot live without? I think if we're honest with ourselves that sometimes our life is more seemingly focused on things other than Christ. Education is our life. Sports are our life. Our career is our life. Our hobbies are our life. Here the Apostle Paul reminds us that Christ is our life. Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So ask yourself this morning, what do you treasure? What do you treasure? What is your life? What drives you? Paul said in Philippians 1.21, I know you're familiar with this phrase right now, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's motivation. He knew that Christ was his life, so much so that in Galatians 2, what does he say? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, our life isn't about activities or details. Our life is not about acquisition or accomplishment. Christ is our life. He's the the focus of our motivation, or sorry, the focus of our aspiration and, and our motivation for living with a heavenly mindset. Paul says, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You see, when we realize our mandate, when we realize our mandate that God has called us to seek and to set our minds on the things above, and when we realize our motivation, when we realize the truths of the gospel, when we're reminded of those amazing truths, then and only then can we live a life that's consistent with our status as believers. That we can live a a life that reflects these truths. Then and only then can we live in such a way that when people look at our lives, they see someone 
who's fixed on Christ, who considers Jesus, who fixes their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. And they see that because they see that your motivations are different. They see that your activities are different. They see that you're living in a different way than they are. You may be in the same profession as them. You may be eating at the same restaurant as them. You may see them in your day-to-day activities. Your lives, your life, your activities, they may be similar, but the way in which you conduct yourself shows them that you're in Christ, that your status is different. And then you can live with a heavenly mindset. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Lord, we are so thankful for your salvation. Lord, that you saved a group of sinful people. Lord, that we can say with the authors of scripture that we were wretched men. But Lord, in the gospel, you saved us and Lord, by your spirit, work in our lives so that we may live a life consistent with that calling, that we may seek and set our minds on the things above. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.